0: Copywriting is a skill that is in high demand right now. The quality and delivery of your message directly affects conversions. Yet, it's something that few people in this industry bother to improve on. Why? Because copywriting is both a science and an art. Today, I brought in veteran copywriter Kenneth Yu. Kenneth has a wealth of experience in this area. He's a former lead copywriter at Mind Valley, where he doubled the revenue. He's also worked with Agora Health and created some of the world's top-selling offers on ClickBank. We're going to go deep into how to structure an offer, how affiliates can take advantage of copywriting techniques. Plus, we're going to do something that we've never done on the Authority Hacker podcast. Talk about religion. Kenneth has reverse-engineered how major religions create such an appealing brand. I know this is going to be super controversial, and I can already see the comments lighting up. So this is certainly worth listening to. Let's get started.
1: Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. No hype, no BS, no censorship, just real-life online marketing tactics. And now your hosts,
0: Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Welcome to the show, Kenneth Yu. Yep.
1: Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here.
0: Before I ask you to do the usual podcast introduction, tell us first, copywriting, is it more of an art or a science?
1: Both. Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Can you qualify that?
1: I think copywriting, there is a persuasion structure that you need to follow, but, uh, which is the science, but you need to fill in the gaps between that structure. And I think that's a little bit of an art.
0: Yeah, I think whenever I've tried to to learn this or get my my head around it, I think one of the problems I've had is that I've tried to approach it too much as like a science, and I've been looking for like specific steps you have to do. But it's really hard to to kind of get your head around the fact that you need to have that kind of framework, but also I don't know how to describe it—some kind of like intuition or, or or just kind of like experience of doing it to, to kind of get into the, the the flow of of doing it to to do it well, but. It's always been I think a very very tough one and, and one of the reasons I'm I'm really glad you're you're on the show today is you're so good at kind of creating order or structure in in a kind of chaotic field. You have many really interesting uh, techniques or I don't know what you call them like UFO technique and your muto stuff. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. But yeah, if you, if you can just start maybe, because I know probably most of our listeners won't have heard of you, but you have a really interesting backstory and you've done a lot of cool stuff for many companies, which I think people will have heard of. So can you just tell us how you first got into copywriting?
1: I started as a madman, if you watch uh, the series Mad Men, So I actually started in a branding uh, kind of uh, environment. So I was in Ogilvy and Maeda. For a couple of years, won a whole bunch of awards there, and then I joined a company called Mind Valley. You may have heard of Mind Valley. Uh, I was the original sure, copy yeah. chief there. Yep, <laughs> and uh, doubled their revenues in in a year. This is when it gets interesting because when we left Mind Valley, it was the start of the entrepreneurship journey. And the reason I got into entrepreneurship was because I wanted to get married. I'm not sure if I told you this story before, Mark. I wanted to get married, but I didn't have money to fund the wedding. That was about 11... That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, thanks. So that was about 11 years ago. And what happened was we did a product launch. When I say we, is me and my wife. Uh, at that time, fiance, we studied mass control by Frank Kern. We studied product launch formula by Jeff Walker. We launched a Twitter marketing product. First of its kind on of the market, an e-course. We broke even in five minutes. We we made money in half an hour and we managed to finance our wedding in under a month.
0: Wow, that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, so we, we basically used a product launch to, to fund our wedding. It was two months before the wedding and we were pretty nervous because we did the foolish thing of booking a really expensive venue. It was a wedding in the sky. And since you've been to Malaysia, have you been to the KL Tower, Mark?
0: I have, yes. I've been, been up there. Uh, did you have it in the restaurant at the top?
1: There is another hall on top of the restaurant oh wow okay yeah so so we we basically had a wedding in the sky and there's an upper deck as well so we, we see you and god and the sky like there's an open air kind of deck at the top that's where we did our vows and then we had the wedding dinner the, the traditional chinese wedding dinner in the restaurant another restaurant the hall the function hall itself so that was pretty cool
0: for anyone that doesn't know, so in Kuala Lumpur they have the, the the famous twin towers, which with the bridge between which you've probably seen in various movies and stuff. But there's actually another building. It's it's not so much a building; it's a tower. But the tower actually sits on top of a hill, so it's it's actually the top of it's actually higher up than the the, the twin towers, I believe. And you can get right to the very top of it. So it's, it's really, really high up and like has a crazy good view. It's quite expensive to get up normally if you're just a, a, a tourist. So I, can, I can imagine a wedding's quite pricey there.
1: Surprisingly, it was competitive. So it was actually similar to the average Chinese restaurant in Malaysia. So, so not as bad, not as bad as, as people think. So KL Tower is interesting because it's on top of a hill. So you're actually overlooking KLCC. So you're actually looking down on KLCC, which is amazing. So to continue the story, so we did the wedding and we started the business. I think we were struggling initially because we didn't have a vision and mission for our business. Our vision and mission was to fund the wedding and funded the honeymoon. And we did that and we didn't know what to do next. And then what happened, we realized that since we're quite good at this making money online, we're, we're quite good at monetizing the internet, we started doing it for bigger companies. I think being in my part of the world, which is Malaysia, there was not a lot of competition in the early days. So we started doing digital marketing with some of the biggest brands in the world and in the region. So my very first prospect was actually Nestle. Uh, they had a $100 million budget or something. Uh, we didn't actually get the prospect, but we ended up getting a lot of big names, uh, a lot of regional names. I mean, McDonald's is a client, Fujitsu is a client, Groupon is a client. Uh, and so what happened was from...
0: And, uh, in, the, in the early days, can I just ask, how do you go out and get, just get McDonald's as a client? That's a pretty tall order.
1: It's a matter of reputation and word of mouth. I realized when it comes to the big corporates, you start with smaller corporate projects and then you build your way to, uh, in a sense, to yourself, to a bigger brand. But what I've realized when it comes to corporates, they are very interesting in the sense that they always look for trends faster than the business people. And if you can position yourself on a trend, on one of these trends, let's say like digital marketing, now it's, you know, native or or one of, or now it's actually personalization and AI. If you can use the corporate buzzwords and you get inroads into these companies really fast and uh, you can start working with these companies really fast. So In fact, I have a lot of my peers, like uh, the, one of the big mistakes I made when I first started the business was uh, I didn't want to start a social media agency, even though we were quite good at it. We were saying good results, but I thought with the corporates, it, wasn't a very monetizable thing. At that time, I was thinking ROI until I realized that corporates don't really care about performance, <laughs> at least then. <laughs> it's, it's so strange. It's a really strange world. Uh, they care about the branding, the reach. And so, if I were to have started a social media agency then, I would have cashed out like, you know, eight figures, like a lot of my peers who started and did their Facebook. And it wasn't even Facebook ads and all those things, it was like, you know, managing Twitter accounts facebook ad campaigns competitions that i thought were like ineffectual then i realized it's actually what the corporates value and you get mega accounts coming in and those were the ones with the biggest valuations because i started an seo company instead oh, did i tell you that i actually started an seo company no, you <laughs> okay and and we were so
0: this was, this was before you got into like doing copywriting for them
1: I do copy mainly for the direct response guys. So like Agora and all those things. So I have two, in a sense, two target clientele. So I I have the corporates, corporates. So those are your your telcos, your banks and all those things. And I have the copywriting stuff as well. So with the telcos, so we used to be the highest paid SEO company in Malaysia. So each client paid me $25,000 per client per month. So it was quite a sweet gig. Yeah, That's pretty good, right? So I was quite effective as well. I got my clients to number one for keywords like banking and credit cards. Like number one.
0: Was this in Malaysia or are you talking globally? Malaysia. Okay. So what's the competition like there? Is it quite low or?
1: It's no longer low. I think because, uh, you know, markets mature. But when we were doing it, SEO was new and I had the benefit of... You know, stompernet if you remember stompernet and uh, howie schwartz and all those things. I mean, at that time, even doing offsite optimization, pure offsite blog links and all those was enough to to actually drive the results. So I think I got lucky, and I realized and and but because I was delivering such good results, the word of mouth spread, and I started getting bigger and bigger and bigger clients.
0: And w- when it comes to the the copywriting side of things, then like at what point did you start working for like Product companies there,
1: so with the product companies, in a sense, there's a little book and I would say it's a book and there's a little gap of inactivity because we actually started with you know Mind Valley was the the big one made my name in Mind Valley I was quite a big copywriting name about eleven years ago then I started this agency business so we didn't do any copywriting for I would say eight years. Because I was busy busy building businesses. So we ended up with three agencies in two countries with about 24 staff managing the big brand. So that was a full-time role. And then I cashed out one of my agencies about three years ago. And then I decided that I didn't like the agency uh, lifestyle so much. I didn't like to manage big corporate clients so much. And I wanted to revisit copywriting. And that's when I get Agora as a client. I I got uh, some of these big names as a client. I've been getting pretty good results ever since. I think what's really interesting, I just want to digress a little bit here. I wrote a Facebook post about three years ago. Actually, not three years, but two years ago. And it was, how do you become a world-class copywriter without writing a single word? (laughs) And, And I realized that actually suffering in entrepreneurship, Going through the cycles, going through the feasts of famine, trying to pay stuff when when your biggest client quit on you. It helped me develop empathy. And I realized that empathy was the secret weapon to write compelling copy.
0: So that's basically your ability to put yourself in the shoes of your prospect or someone who's going to be reading what you're going to write and kind of understand what they are feeling and what they want and what they need and that kind of thing?
1: Yes, I think because when you're conducting a business, when, you know, when I'm running you know, businesses and you know, managing multiple stakeholders, that means I'm managing my business partners, I'm managing my clients, I, I'm going through whatever emotions I'm going through because you know, people are unpredictable. You develop almost an empathy and anticipatory skills for human emotion. Because I think in my copywriting early, I I think I was good uh, and I made my client a lot of money, but I was very good at the structure. But I didn't have the X factor because I, I haven't lived life long enough. I was an employee. I, I mean... I was skilled at what I do, but I didn't suffer the full spectrum of human emotion. I mean, keyword is suffering because uh, suffering creates empathy. It, it creates almost a relatability. So when you talk to your client and you talk to your client in terms of uh, the angst or the anger or the sadness, and you've been through that, it's a lot easier to express it and it's a lot easier for them to be drawn in. So I think empathy is actually the secret weapon for copywriting. That's interesting, actually. Yeah.
0: We, we actually had an agency as well, like back in 2010 to 2014 type type time. And yeah, I mean, I can, I can definitely relate to a lot of those things. You know, you got a lot of, not just when the clients are coming like to like with a problem, but the client of the client is coming and you have to kind of like think about how their, their end user is going to be impacted and their problems and dealing with specifics there so i get that i want to move on to something which uh, it's kind of like an an approach which we talked about a little bit before before the 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 show it's the idea of i think you call it make mutos, make it up and then obtain support and this is kind of a different approach to build it and they will come or or you know just start creating a product then figure out how to market it later which i think a lot of people myself included have done in the past perhaps incorrectly can you just explain what your approach is and and why it's superior
1: mutos m i u t o s stands for make it up then obtain support and it's really the secret behind all the the top copywriters in the world And what it is, is you make things up first that the customer finds appealing. And because we live in a world today where whatever you make up, there's usually a substantiation for it. So let me give you an example. So let's say you have a keto diet product. So is keto diet good or bad? So if you look at the... The literature, it's both. (laughs) You have studies of reputable universities that are for keto and against keto. I mean, same goes for climate change. I mean, if you're against climate change, you're a science denier and everything. But if you look at the literature, you have things that are for, against, and everything in between, which means that whatever you, in a sense, whatever you design, be it a product, be it a service, be it even a sales letter, if you can trigger the person's emotional points and if you can successfully support it, it's a bigger shortcut than you doing, let's say, market research from the start trying to find the key points. It's far easier to do the key points first and then it's probably 98% of the time you, you're able to find the support for it. Because uh, that's the world we live in today. That's support for everything. When I first
0: heard about this this approach, my initial reaction was, oh, you know, that's that's kind of like not so... It will result in not such a good quality of product because, you know, you're, you're not creating the product first. You're, you're just kind of like building it around the, the, the need, as it were. But actually, the, the more I thought about it, the more it, it's actually the same thing. Because when you're, when you're creating a, a product, you kind of have an idea at the back of your mind that there's going to be a need for it. You just haven't done the, the proper work to like flesh out exactly what that should be. And you tend to leave that until the, the, the part of like creating the sales and marketing material. But it's kind of dumb because you can create a better product if you understand the need better as well. I think there's a lot of validity in, in, in what you're saying there. If someone wants to go with this approach, how do they implement that? How do they execute on that?
1: There is something I have. I mean, as you know, I have a lot of structures and exercises. (laughs) One (laughs) or two. (laughs) uh, One or two, yes. Just just one or two. I actually created a brand new one two weeks ago. (laughs) And it's called Major on the Minor. (laughs) And Major on the Minor basically means you list down everything about your product, service, and industry. And you, you cross-reference that with what is the most appealing to your target market. And then that becomes the product features. Can you
0: give us an example of like maybe a product or an industry and, and, and maybe go through that process? Not fully, but to just give us a bit of a flavor for what it might look like.
1: Okay. So one of my clients does broccoli extract. Mm-hmm. So it's a supplement that there's a compound in broccoli that Apparently, it's very good for for anti-aging and all those things. So broccoli. And you know how boring broccoli is? It's It's like as vanilla as you can get, right? So going through the major and the minor process, I list down everything about broccoli, all the supplement, the company, the founders, the history of broccoli. And the history of broccoli is just so interesting. It was brought in by the precursors to the Romans, by the Etruscan Empire. And they brought it to Rome. It's actually a cultivated vegetable. They brought it to Rome. And then there was a Roman politician that was championing broccoli. And so just those two facts alone, I can start spinning angles already. So, with the Etruscan, one of the, the angles I was testing was, oh, this supplement is called the Etruscan Elixir, the, the healing secret of, of an extinct civilization. <laughs> so, you know, it, it develops interest. And the other one, which is my favorite, was renegade Roman politician holds the key to eternal youth. And so, it's, it's just to just list down everything. And why it's called major on the minor is because the minor things hold the most interest because it's unexpected. So anything that's unexpected will attract attention because we live in a world today where, where it's just so much information. So we, we, are gravi- we gravitate to the surprising, the shocking, the startling, the things that add color to your gray world. And usually it's the minor things when amplified that do that. So-
0: if someone was doing this for themselves in a different space, you'd recommend they just spend a lot of time, like researching the history of the product and like the people using it and related industries and, and that kind of stuff to to basically list out all of the potentially interesting points and, and start from there.
1: Yeah, to do that, and also to do it on a macro level. That means to do it on your industry as well, or on your target audience as well. Because there might be a need in your target audience you don't see that you can link to your product in a very unexpected way. Do you have an example of, of that? Maybe, you know, you can give me an example of a product and let's, see, let's do the...
0: RFID blocking wallets. I just saw that, I see this on YouTube all the time. Like the, they sponsor these, these videos. So it's basically like a wallet for your, your credit cards, but they have some kind of like layer around it that blocks RFID so people can't steal your... Data, whatever you know, by this like contactless payments, so it's kind of like a security thing for that. I don't know how relevant it is, but it's just the first thing that came to my mind. So,
1: okay, that's interesting. Yeah, we can do that. Actually, we really have some ideas. So, so when you uh, do major and a minor. I think with something like this, I would actually do industry, meaning the cyber defense industry or hacking. And then I just keep going down like things like hackers are now go doing it on a personal level. Your data can actually be be, be used by, by devices that, that try to capture your data from outside. So they're now hacking devices. There's, you know, people hack your webcam. People hack uh, all those things. So, and this is a mutos, So I'm making it up. But we could play on that fear that it's very easy to fish for your credit card these days. And they fish it in the most unexpected ways. And so I, I will actually go into, again, the unexpected. You're, you're going to the grocery store and all those things, and suddenly you realize your credit card has been cloned. And the crazy thing is that you, it used to be that cloning was done in the on cyberspace itself. You enter, you know, your, your address in a in a wrong link and they capture your profile. But now they can do it from scratch, almost like a spy movie and everything. Uh, so I will actually play out on those kind of, of fears to talk about the RFID protection.
0: Is it quite common in copywriting then to to look at these kind of like innate human fears as a basis for your, your marketing message then?
1: Uh yes. I think we buy on emotion and not just uh by like almost every action we take is an emotional reaction first on the base level, and then we substantiate with logic. I, I think that's direct response 101. But the more I examine the different communication messages of the day, be it politics, be it business, be it any form of mass control, it always involves an emotional element to it. So the more you're able to stir emotions, the better it is. There's another principle that you may have gone through in, in the course uh, called Detda. Do you see Detda?
0: No, I, I didn't get there yet.
1: Okay, uh, dark emotions that drive action. Because one, positive emotions don't actually drive as much action as the dark emotions, but not all dark emotions actually drive action. And what I mean by that is, if somebody is sad or depressed, it usually wouldn't stir a, a buying decision or any des- any form of action except stagnation. Unless you're Ben and Jerry's or something, uh, then you know your market is a sadness market. But for the most part, if you are in angst or if you're angry or if you are fearful, then you are stirred to take an action. If you're anxious, you're stirred to take an action. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, there's about 9 to 14 of these kinds of impulses that if you position your product or service accordingly, or even build your product around that one emotion, you actually start doing very well. Uh, Let me give you an example of that. Lately, there's there's been a lot of coverage of what we call the anxiety market. And the anxiety market is now a billion-dollar industry. It has gone from n- almost non-existent two, three years ago to a, a billion-dollar industry. Now, they include fidget spinners. They include weighted blankets. They include supplements, anti-anxiety supplements. They include mindfulness retreats and all those things, all in the same space. And it's an entire industry wrapped around an emotion, wrapped around a data which is anxiety, one of the emotions that drive action. And you can see there's now a market there. If you notice, there's no sadness market. <laughs> so, uh, and so there are certain actions, certain emotions that drive action. So that's that. There. Interesting. Okay.
0: So we, we've talked quite a bit about like copywriting from a product owner's perspective. Can we just switch things up for a bit? Because we have a lot of our audience, our listeners who... Are perhaps not product owners, but promote other people's products, maybe as affiliates. What are some good takeaways or some good things which affiliates can can do to improve their copywriting and their their content on their, their, their website when it comes to uh, to copywriting?
1: And uh, this is when we segue into the scalable parable.
0: <laughs> this is another one of your uh, your techniques. You just sent me this, actually.
1: Yes, it's not just a technique, it's a, it's a new course. It's a new new course and book that I'm going to release next year. And I'm already invited to teach it around the world. I mean, it's, it's crazy because it's, it's so simple. Like I like my things a lot more cerebral, a lot smarter. And this was a simple thing I came out with in like five minutes. And it's the one everybody wants. <laughs> Funny uh, how life works. So the premise for the Scalable Parable is this. Religion is the most effective brand in the world. So I, I don't know what your religious beliefs are and all those things, but you can't deny that the penetration rate for religion is among the highest in the world. I mean, 33% of the world is Christian, 22% are Muslims. Hinduism takes a, a bulk of that, the rest of that and everything.
0: Yeah. I think it's safe to say a lot of people are religious, Yeah.
1: Yes, a lot of people are religious, but not a lot of people are Mac heads. You know, not a lot of people are Harley Davidson <laughs> riders. I mean, McDonald's is, is close, but, you know, for the part, most brands don't have that following, which means that the conversion text or the conversion messages for religion is working. If they are the most effective conversion mechanisms in the world, what I did was I broke down a specific conversion text and I broke it down into the fundamentals. I broke it down to eight, Actually, it's an eight-step process that all religious texts actually follow, be it Islam, Christianity, even cults, they actually follow. And it's a structure that's inherently appealing to human nature because these things work. They work. You can see it. It's in the stats. It works. And I call this framework The Scalable Parable. Interesting. <laughs>
0: I'm sure this has definitely not caused any controversy in the past, but let's go on.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's because it's so controversial, it's getting attention because it's... I'm surprised no one has thought of it yet, to be honest.
0: That's good though. You know, as a copywriter, that's, there's something in that.
1: Yeah, there is. So it's, it's eight steps. I won't go into all of them in detail. I'll probably go into the first two or three in detail, but the eight steps is first... The Romans, second, the Virgin, <laughs> number three, the miracles, number four, the crucifixion, number five, the resurrection, number six, the commission, number seven, the invitation, number eight, the ultimatum. And when you hear words like Virgin and crucifixion, it's obviously uh, based on the gospel, on the life of, of Jesus Christ. <laughs> It's based on the on the Christianity, but but we see the beats everywhere, even in in Islam. Apparently, the Muslims told me that the Quran actually follows a similar structure as well. And so, I'll go into the 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 full eight steps, the story, and then uh, I will tell you how to relate to it if you are running an affiliate campaign and all those things.
0: I bet that's something not too many people who listen to this podcast ever thought they'd be hearing, but <laughs> I'm really interested to hear what you have to say now. <laughs> Let's go on.
1: Yeah, thank you. The first step is the Romans. And the Romans, in the context of the story of the gospel, the Romans was the time when Rome basically invaded Israel. That means Israel were under was under Roman rule. And the Romans, as you probably know, were very famous for their cruelty. If you watch Spartacus, you know, you watch all these sort of shows. The Romans even made violence a sport. Like your version of Netflix was to, to go to the Colosseum and see people get stabbed to death. <laughs> so uh, that's the Romans. So the Israelites or the Jews were not happy that they were under Roman rule. And so, so I'll just go through the whole story and then uh, I'll relate it. To how it, it affects your business. So that's the first the Roman. The second is the virgin birth. And the virgin birth was obviously the Christmas story. The Virgin Mary basically got visited by an angel. And then but she was a virgin, but she gave birth to Jesus. Well, she talks about accidental discovery in a time of oppression. Like there were the Romans. And in the time of oppression, there was an accidental discovery. And that accidental discovery was, uh, was uh, the birth of Jesus. Uh, number three is the miracle. So Jesus grew up became a miracle worker, the blind were healed, the deaf could hear, the mute could speak, he was casting out demons, raising the dead. Those are miracles. Number four is the crucifixion. Obviously, Jesus went on the cross, adversity, died, resurrection. He now was raised from the dead and is now greater and better than ever before. So that's the key. Uh, And then the commission. Uh, Now, since I have this victory, which is the, the resurrection... I now have the commission, which means I want to send out people into the world. I want to share my message with the world. Then an invitation after that is, uh, would you come join me? Will you come join me so that you believe in me and go to heaven? And then ultimatum means uh, if you don't believe in me, you go to hell. So those are the eight steps. So when you relate it to business, this is how you relate to business. The Romans will be what is your prospects, fears, what keeps them up at night? What's the things that's oppressing them? And number two is the Virgin. The Virgin is accidental discovery of your product. So basically, let's say debt servicing, like you're, you're in a lot of debt, the banks are calling you and all those things. So the Romans will be the creditors that are calling you. It is the constant cloud of you trying to scramble enough money only for it to be uh, given away to the banks. And it's just this constant flow of lack. The accidental discovery, the virgin, is one day I'm so sick of it. I'm so sick of the debt. I want to do something to get out of that. And then I discovered, accidentally, I discovered a debt algorithm. So I'm just making it up. I, a debt algorithm that will help me get out of that. And then I use it and I started getting some preliminary results. So the miracles is after I discovered this debt algorithm, I started getting really significant results. And, you know, one by one, I credit card bills are getting paid one by one. My wife is no longer threatening to divorce me, etc. Then comes the crucifixion. The crucifixion is a time of adversity. Something bad happens. And in the case of that algorithm, oh, a hacker hacked into my algorithm and destroyed it. Oh, no. (laughs) Uh, How am I going to pay off my debts right now? Then comes the resurrection. And the resurrection is, I then decided to resolve to myself, I do not want to go back in that again. And therefore, I rebuilt the algorithm. And now I have this algorithm, but it's better. It's faster. it, It has things that were not there before. It died and come to life and come to life in a more spectacular fashion. It's better than the previous prototype. And the commission after that is... Now I want to share this with the world. I want to share my experience, this debt algorithm with the world. Invitation, which is a call to action, is come, join me. And Ultimatum is a scarcity play. Basically, it's if you don't join me now, then you're going to be stuck in debt forever. Or uh, if you don't join me now, the price of this is uh, $50, going to go up to $99 in the next three days. So yeah, so that's essentially the, how I use the Scalable Parable.
0: Wow, that's really interesting. I, I never, for a second, thought that someone would be able to relate all the world's religions to affiliate marketing in such a practical way. That's that's an interesting one. I'm, I'm going to have to um, when I record the intro for for this show, I'm going to have to preface this quite a bit. But this is cool. This is really interesting. I feel like every time I review a sales page or a VSL now, I'm going to be looking for these stages when I see someone else's his product. There.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that. And then this is very good for pre-sale pages for, let's say your affiliate products, because when you're doing a pre-sale, it's almost like a testimony of the product you want to sell. And if you can relate a personal story using these eight steps, uh, I think you're going to kill it on native or, you know, on SEO and all those things.
0: Uh, so when it comes to sales pages and VSLs, what do you, what can you tell us about those? What, what what do people need to do to make those things better?
1: Okay, when it comes to VSLs, um, what I find really interesting is uh, VSL is actually an auditory medium, like we think it's a video, but it's actually audio, it's actually what you hear, I mean, and then it's supported by the visuals, but it's essentially what you hear, which means, right, that if you find a compelling text in an audio book, and you can... Actually take that and make that the intro of your VSL. Your VSLs will actually start getting a lot more attention a lot faster. So what I do is I'm on the lookout for things that translate well to audio, be it video or audio. So it could be an audio book or it could be a passage of dialogue in a particular movie. So I actually swiped Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> and Kate Winslet. Uh, not the not Titanic, they had another movie after that, I think called Revolutionary Road or something. And there were some very intense fight scenes, uh, quarreling scenes, lover's quarrels over there. I swiped the text for the lover's quarrel. I put it in a manifestation product. It made a quarter of a million dollars. Actually, it made more than that. It made about $350,000 in three months. And a lot of the success is because I took something that was already working. That means it's a video or an audio sort of thing. I translate it into a VSL and then uh, it starts working. So VSLs are actually an auditory medium.
0: Okay. So you just, so I'm, I'm clear, like you had that, you saw that movie and you saw that, that intense passage, like how and where did you put that in your VSL? And how did you kind of lead off from that?
1: So the scene was uh, basically the lovers quarrelling, and in the midst of their quarrelling, they got into a car crash, and then the the link to the line was basically, and that car crash was the best thing to have ever happen to me, <laughs> and then it it went to to a sales standard sales letter like oh you know yeah so. That's interesting.
0: And did you discover that? Were you actively looking for something you could use there? Or were you just watching that movie like in your spare time? And you thought to yourself, oh, I could use that in a VSL?
1: I think it's both. Sometimes I'm, I have a VSL that I look for these sort of passages. But a lot of it is I just collect. I was like, hmm, this will be good. What emotion does it provoke? And then what product will fit that particular emotion? So I have another product where it starts with a hippo devouring a manhole. So a man actually gets swallowed by a hippo and you know his legs were dangling out and, and all those things. And I, <laughs> I relate it to the suffocation of money problems, of the anxiety of money issues, because it really suffocates the, the individual and, and all those things. And it was an article I saw on BuzzFeed and I was like, well, this is cool. I'm going to use that.
0: So w- when you're going about just your daily life, be that work or in your spare time, is your mind just like always kind of open and looking for these the, these kind of examples or these scenarios? And, and do you like, how do you store them all? Do you, do you have some kind of like notebook or like repository where you just dump all your ideas in?
1: I wish I did. <laughs> so I, I do sometimes store it, but I find it actually just informs the subconscious like the more you expose your subconscious to something, the easier it is to generate ideas because ideas are two unconnected things suddenly developing a connection. That's all ideas and innovation uh, really is. Neil Gaiman, do you know Neil Gaiman? Sandman, American Gods. So he's, uh, he's one of the most revered comic book writers uh, of the century. Brilliant, brilliant storyteller. And he said this thing that was really interesting. He actually talked about the compost heap of creativity. The compost heap of creativity. You know what a compost heap is, right? Like, do you do gardening and everything? So so he said that the more things you put into the compost heap, well, whatever scraps, be it a different kind of music, a different kind of movie, uh, a different kind of art, and you just keep burying it into the ground, one day they will, they will develop fruit and it will flourish because it's so... For Khan, it's so fertile and and for me i just keep my imagination fertile i mean i do swipe and and all those things but but generally my lifestyle is to feed the compost heap of creativity no matter what i do
0: okay and so you you, you said like talked about movies you talked about audiobooks but also buzzfeed do you spend a lot of time on buzzfeed type sites for the purpose deliberately of doing this or is it just because like you kind of get distracted like the rest of us and find yourself on BuzzFeed two or three times a day?
1: I mean uh, yeah I'm, I'm guilty of, of being distracted <laughs> I, I wish I had that you know iron, iron uh, rock solid discipline to, you know just do my work and get out but those days are not that common <laughs> but BuzzFeed is very interesting Reddit and BuzzFeed are very interesting because there's they are a repository of what your customers actually say and in the way they say, the style of it which we say. So for instance, if you have a customer in, let's say, uh, some form of angst, let's say it's weight loss or anxiety and all those things, you can actually go to BuzzFeed and read what people say about their anxiety or say about their weight issues or say about their body shaming issues. And you can take those words, and then put them into your sales letter. And it become a lot more relatable because you're now talking in the way that your audience is talking. Mm-hmm.
0: So we mentioned just before about sales pages and VSLs. We talked about VSLs. What can you tell us about sales pages?
1: I think the sales pages, I think, is... If you use a scalable parable, you can already construct a sales page, <laughs> I think. And just follow that as, uh, with a little bit of embellishment and you already have a functional sales page. The thing about sales pages is the structure is very straightforward. You can go on YouTube and you can easily get a sales letter structure. And so you can use any of the structures, but the structure is not the magic formula. And swiping is also not a magic formula. When I, when I mean swiping is there's this craze in the industry of you're one funnel away from, from being a millionaire, you know, that sort of, of thing. And I say, all you need is to swipe uh, or funnel hack or do all those things. But, I find that use the sales letter structure, but write it in a way that, is, that displays empathy. So you, you don't have to write the swipe way. That means oh, these are the ways professional copywriters write and everything, which is good. But you know, nowadays I don't use swipes at all. I don't uh, actually copy. I don't, in a sense, uh, look at other people's sales letters so much. I usually come up with things from scratch mainly because I have the empathy and I have the scalable parable structure to fall back on.
0: Okay, so basically you're saying get the structure from other people, get this, create your own story.
1: Yeah, create your own story and then just be empathetic. <laughs> Learn what drives the kind of dark emotions that drive action. And then you can you start creating uh, really amazing sales letters. I think there was this story that was really interesting. Do you know Caleb, Caleb O'Dowd? I do not, know. Okay, so Caleb O'Dowd is, is a copywriter, but he's doing very interesting things. He's one of the copywriters that made it big time. And he used to be Gary Halbert's prodigy. Gary Halbert is an old-school direct response legend. So he was a copywriter par excellence. A lot of the structures that you see in the sales letters, the headlines, all come from Gary. So Gary's prodigy is Caleb. Caleb's from Ireland. And there was this really interesting story that that Caleb told in his early days. And that was, there was an erectile dysfunction promotion (laughs) that Gary tasked Caleb to do. And Caleb at that time was probably two months into his copywriting journey. I think he was doing all kinds of odd jobs. And so he was copywriting for the first time. He didn't even have proper structure, nothing. And what Gary asked Caleb to do was to go on the phone and interview all the buyers of this erectile uh, <laughs> dysfunction supplement. <laughs> Interesting task. <laughs> yeah, and so it was just days of him going on the phone, asking, uh, how do you feel? Why do you buy it in the first place? Uh, why, what results are you getting? You know, those sort of questions. And when, he, when Caleb wrote the promotion for, for the erectile dysfunction supplement, he outperformed all the other copywriters. So it was a test. There was uh, other copywriters and he, he basically killed it. it. It was a promotion. He did the best and the other people were make were the, the old like the the world class copywriters, the ones you pay 20 K per sales letter for. And this new guy basically beat everyone. Mainly because he understands the prospect so much better.
0: Big big takeaway from that is survey or interview or talk to your customers or prospective customers to understand what motivates them and use that to inform your, your copywriting approach.
1: Yes, and on a deeper level as well. So it's not a surface level thing. It's, uh, if you can ask questions that really reveal their inner emotions, that is what will
0: work. How do you do that? How do you get them to reveal their inner, emotion, inner emotions? Especially, I'm thinking, in something like erectile dysfunction, which I presume people don't want to like, talk about so much.
1: It actually depends on, your, on the generation. If it's erectile dysfunction, you're talking about boomers. Uh, and boomers are very revealing. <laughs> From what I know, they're not the most private of people. There's a younger generation that, ironically, in the age of Instagram, are actually the most closed up. So, yeah.
0: Okay. So do you have any book recommendations for people who are interested in copywriting and, and developing their empathy and this, this kind of thing?
1: I'm reading a book now that is very interesting. Actually, there are two books and they're not traditional copywriting books. But because I get my inspiration from everywhere except marketing, I think these books are very valuable. Number one is a book called Narrative Economics. And Narrative Economics is by an economist called Robert Schiller. And it's basically how people use stories to, to affect the economy. And it's, uh, it's very fascinating. And it, it gives you a macro level of how stories work and the things that uh, determine them. The second is a book called Factfulness.
0: Factfulness. I've heard of that, yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's uh, Hans Rosling. Uh, Bill Gates recommended the book two years ago for summer reading. It's a book about basically the cognitive biases, basically how your brain sees the world and how to mitigate that or how to handle that. So that's a guidebook on, on how I do either stories or copywriting. Because copywriting, when you write copy, you write it to somebody's biases. Because all of us are biased. We, no one of us is unbiased. So you actually write towards somebody's cognitive biases. And these are the books that will help you reveal that. So they're not the traditional copywriting books. Obviously, if you want like standard copywriting, you know, there's breakthrough advertising by suddenly forgot his name. Ah, breakthrough advertiser, Eugene Schwartz. But I find that you don't actually need to do copywriting books if you can master the art of empathy. Interesting. Okay. Great. So, most people
0: listening to this probably have some, I'd say, basic copywriting skills, whether they realize it or not. If you've created a website, if you've created content, you you probably have some some basics. But I don't think too many people have. I would, from our audience at the moment, at least, would say would consider themselves sort of advanced or expert copywriters. You have a product. It's called Blockbuster Formula. What does it do, and how, how does it help people develop their copywriting?
1: Blockbuster formula is all about creating and scaling blockbuster offers and the stories that support those offers. So I've been been developing the skills to to create blockbuster campaigns. So almost everything I do now when it comes to products, even things I create for my clients, I'm getting very good results because of the persuasion formulas and strategies that I use. And blockbuster formula is my life's work. It's pretty intense and it's it's basically all my copywriting strategies that I developed over the years. And so what it helps you do is it tackles the most fundamental issue in copywriting that if you get right, uh, all the other formulas is really just icing on the cake. And that is to create an offer that you can scale. Because the fortunes of marketers and alloy entrepreneurs, uh, if you can see right now, all are due to the fact that they have offers that they can scale on on traffic, they can scale on SEO and they can grow their business that way. And the Blockbuster formula is all about taking that and taking everything I know, taking all the storytelling techniques I have and creating an offer that can uh, do exactly just that and help you create the lifestyle of your dreams because when you scale your business, you can uh, do that. And yeah, really it's it's the formula to to multi-million dollar internet Marketing success that's my observation over the years
0: yep excellent and you, Kenneth gave me access a couple of weeks ago, and I've just started going through it very very interesting stuff i i' i mean it's all his own kind of concepts and ideas, so this is stuff that you will not find anywhere else in in any other sort of resource book or or website, so if you are interested in improving your, your copywriting. Telling better stories, then I'd highly recommend you guys head over to blockbusterformula.com and 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 check it out. It's, it's it's very interesting. I'll put a link to the to that in the show notes of the lesson as well. If anyone wants to to check it out, as well as the the books uh, Kenneth mentioned earlier. Last question, then Kenneth, is there anything that I haven't asked you today about copywriting that perhaps I should have asked you?
1: I think you've been very thorough. <laughs> you've been quite well. The right way is exhaustive, so it's it's quite good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, if, if if any of our
0: audience want to contact you, to follow you, to learn more, how can they? How can they find you? What's your website? What's your social media handle, etc.
1: I am starting a YouTube channel that doesn't exist yet, <laughs> so, uh, but it will exist in the next month, probably by 2020, and that's Attention, Attention Empire. So attentionempire.com, yep.
0: Just FYI, so we're recording this in end of November, start of December. This is actually going to go out in January, so will your YouTube channel be live already? Awesome. Okay, so <laughs> for for the purposes of editing, uh, go check out the YouTube channel <laughs> right now.
1: Yeah, so so that's good. So at teshaempire.com, you can find me there. It will link to all the social media handles. And obviously you can link to me. Uh, I'm quite friendly <laughs> on my Facebook profile. You just uh, Facebook Kenneth YU, uh, And if your friends connected to Mark, you will find me as well. Because I think we share quite a few friends.
0: Yeah, yeah excellent okay well listen it's been really interesting fascinating discussion we went off in, in so many tangents which I, I would honestly never have expected to do in a marketing podcast i think it's the first time in 200 odd episodes we've dared to talk about religion but very interesting so thank you so much for coming on kenneth really appreciate it and uh yeah uh, we will be back next monday with uh, another episode thanks guys all right thank you